welcome to the No Podcast with me, Nikki Spo. Thanks to Sana Skin Studio for supporting the No Podcast. Sana is a skin studio that is shifting the relationship with your skin and your products through goal-driven facials, real guidance, and clean skincare. Stay tuned for our promo code so you can receive $25 off of your first facial at Sana Skin Studio. Lauren Book. I am so excited to have you on my show. Yay. I'm just so grateful that you're taking the time from your busy schedule to sit with me on my new podcast, which is called The No with Nikki Spo. And I'm just so happy you're here. I love that rhyme. I didn't really put it together until you just said it. So A plus. Awesome. Well, today you are a mother of twins, a wife, a sister, a daughter, and a friend, but you're also a survivor and you're a politician. And we are going to get into all of it. And I'm so looking forward to having you share how you step into your personal knowing with our audience. So let's dive right in. We have known each other for what, nine, 10 years now? A long time. It's been a really long time. And um, we've grown together. We've laughed together. We've had babies together. And so it's been a lot of fun and a lot of um, a lot of proud moments, a lot of ups and downs. But you're somebody that is so special to me. And I am so excited to do this with you today. So excited. I think we met back in 2012. And back in our 20s, we were you were already such a huge inspiration to me and you helped me in ways that I could never have imagined. And it, you really like, like got me going on my own healing journey. But before we get into like the earlier days, I kind of want to start talking about your current role and then go back to the beginning. So now you're a Senator. I mean, wow. (laughs) You're a young female Senator who is also a mother and a wife. And so can you tell me a little bit about what it's like to actually be in your position? It's crazy. It's a lot of fun. It's no day is the same. And you're constantly working all the time. So we're doing the issues that are important to, you know, Florida Democrats, but also how can you work on good policy? And not only are you working on your own bills and making sure that the policies that you want to see pass, but you're also having to watch for bad policy and how you can stop that. But also, I mean, this job has taught me so much, but One of the things I think most important, it has taught me to collaborate and also not just put somebody in a in a penalty box and not ever, you know, engage. I think it's easy when somebody um, is completely diametrically opposite to our thoughts, beliefs, visions and values to kind of put them over there um, instead of bringing them in and trying to engage to come to a consensus. And there are things that, you know, I'll never come to an agreement on certain things with. Uh, with some of my colleagues on the other side of the aisle, but you know, there's a lot in between. And so I try to work on that a lot of in between, which is different than a lot of people. Well, right. Especially right now, like things are so polarizing people in general, like you are either on one side of something or on the complete other side. And there's a huge gap between the two. And so what you're talking about, like collaboration, I mean, I would imagine that it's actually really difficult to find that balance. It is. It is. But I would say, and there are more women now in the legislature than there has ever been. But, you know, I am one of the youngest. Mm -hmm. It is. And I'm, though I'm one of the youngest. And so some of the issues that I work on, for example, a breast milk bank 
you know, for new moms or for making sure that, you know, if, if you have a preemie that you can um, get milk safely for your kids. You know, they look at me like sometimes I have a third eye, right? Like they're like, what? Why, why do you buy this stuff? And, you know, see, it's a lot of education. Um, you know, when I first started making sure that courthouses or restrooms had changing tables in both bathrooms, so mom or dad can go change a baby in the bathroom. You know, so it's things that they're a little bit, um, some of my colleagues are a little farther on than I, but it's a wonderful process to engage in. And, you know, I've always found that you can create true change here. And so it's always been important to me. And so this is a, a different way of doing it. And I, I really do enjoy it. That's awesome. You know, it's funny that you mentioned um, the changing table thing. I remember, and I'm sure so many other moms out there can can relate to this, but I remember going to my first appointment after, you know, to my OBGYN after my, my two sons were born. And the first time I went with my son, Santiago, my older son, I needed to nurse him. And I was appalled that at the hospital, there was not a nursing room at the hospital. It's shocking how many places don't have an, a place, like an appropriate place to breastfeed your kids. Right. I mean, there's a bill that's moving through the process now to make it mandatory in courthouses. But I mean, it just there's a tremendous amount of disparity. I've, I've found that, you know, society wants us to um, mother like we don't have a job and job like we don't mother. Say that again. They want us to mother like we don't have a job and have a job like we don't mother. And that is impossible. And so we've had to make our life um, and my life here work to fit our life and fit, you know, the, the kids. They come with me everywhere. Um, you know, post-pandemic, we're doing homeschool. And so we're very blessed to have an incredible teacher come with us and, and work with them at home. Um, and we've had to make it work. But I think society asks so much of us. And you have to surround yourself with people who can be flexible and adapt and make it work. But, um, you know, that's not the same for everybody. I've been through a lot of people where this is not an environment that they can work, where, you know, we're working on a bill issue and then the kids are coming over wanting to work on their bills because they do want to pass bills here too. Kennedy wants to make it so that every dollar bill in the state has a princess on it and Hudson wants to change our street name to Finn McMissile Street. How can you bring them in and along? And so I've, I just think that that's an important piece. That actually brings me to my next question. It's like the balancing act of being a mom, wife, and a politician seems super daunting. Like it seems so, so intimidating. And it's 2021 and we've come a long way, but there's still so much inequality across the board in the workforce, like in general, and I can only imagine in politics. So does being a mother affect how people in the politics world view or treat you? A hundred percent. When they were born, I started my first legislative session two weeks after they were born. It was the worst thing I ever did, uh, truly. I mean, I still had stitches. I had a C-section with them, breastfeeding. And, you know, you had these guys that were like, you know, if you give her a, t a hard hug, the milk will come out. Like, this is the kind of, oh, yeah. And then also, you know, trying to schedule meetings and, you know, around breastfeeding or pumping. And I think that I never wanted to be intimidated out of um, a position that people wanted me to be in, to be their voice here in Tallahassee. It was still really hard. It was difficult. I, and I also think for, for moms, it's, again, they want us to work like we don't mother and like we don't work. And it is hard because you have to be the most prepared. You have to, you know, carry that invisible burden that moms carry. Like, I know you know what Shago likes or what Dante, you know, has to have for lunch that's packed so that that lunch is packed and then go and do what you have to do, but also make sure that the snacks are packed for after school and what's going to be for dinner 
and is, you know, are their clothes laid out for the next day? And if they do fall down or do get sick, do you have the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle Band-Aids? Because now they don't like the other ones because you have to have all those things. And so, you know, I do have to work harder than anyone else in the room. And it is 100 percent different. I mean, I remember also suffering with postpartum depression and just really having to navigate that. It's easier now that they're older, but even still, you know, they're with me all the time. We're a traveling circus, I like to tell people. And um, we, we work to make it work. And they've always been here. They'll always be here. And I feel blessed in so many ways, but mostly that I can make this work. And we've made a universe where we make this work. But it definitely is very hard. It's very hard. I mean, the mental load that mothers carry, and I think just women in general have always carried. We are the caretakers of our home for the most part. I mean, every family is different. And I think that gender roles are adapting and changing every day, which is incredible to see. And you see fathers becoming so involved with their children's lives and taking paternity leave. And it's really amazing to see it. But I do think that still mothers typically carry the mental load of our families and it is invisible and you can't see it. And it's, it's very, very difficult. And then bring in like postpartum depression or anxiety, which I also suffered from. And I can, I can totally understand the pain and just the difficulty that comes with that. You know, I can only imagine how hard it was for you to be um, in such an important role with your professional life to be able to just balance all of it and know that your greater purpose also, like in addition to being a mom, like you can have two great purposes in life or more, you know, like you, you doesn't have to be one or the other, right? Like you can, you can have a great purpose or sense of purpose in being a parent and also know that you have to, you are called to create important change in your community, which is what you're doing essentially. Well, and I remember there's a big, gigantic, steep hill, like right across. Um, and when we, I would walk home, we, you know, have an apartment down the street from the Capitol. And I had the gigantic peg perego, like one in front of the other, like train stroller. And I remember, and the hill goes like into, there's an intersection of cars before you cross the street to the apartment. And I remember walking home one day and just having this vision that I was going to let the stroller go and like let the cars hit the stroller. And I just remember thinking like, oh my God, I have to stop. Like I have to stop. I have to, I have to go get help. I need to make this different. I need, I need more. And you know, at that point you want to do all the things and be all the things to all the people. And you can't show weakness here. This is not a position where you can be weak or let people think that you're off your game because they will eat you alive. And I was really struggling. And I remember though, the next session being able to talk to my colleagues and pass a bill about postpartum depression, where there's a hotline for resources for families and um, a screening when moms leave the hospital or when they're with their pediatricians for that first appointment. So I think, and it goes to you know what we were talking about before, right or wrong, I'm younger in this process and I'm closer to some of those things I think that a lot of the population is closer to. And there's not somebody here who has been in that space. Um, you know, so I do tend to work on some of those familial issues, expansion of Medicaid for postpartum, you know, some of the breast milk um, pieces. Just the first week of session, we got a, a text message from a friend of mine and our pediatrician, who we loved and had been seeing since they were born, was arrested for child pornography. Come to find, oh my God, you have no idea. <laughs> I was going to die. But, and 
he was arrested and then was trying to practice telemedicine, come to find out there's no ability to revoke that license. Uh, you know, so that's a bill, right, that we're working on. So I think, again, how do you take all of those pieces of your life and work to create that change? Again, like you said, no matter where you are and in what space you are, and you can do it in many different ways. I am just blessed that this is the position that I'm in to be able to create that change. It's amazing because, you know, it's easy to forget what it was like when they were little or when they were born or what mothers go through, you know, and I'm guilty of it too. You know, my, my youngest son is almost one and a half and I'm like, those newborn days are long gone, right? It's hard though because I remember every time I think about like the newborn phase, I'm like, oh my gosh, the darkness. It was so dark. It was so dark. But like once you get out of it, like you just go on with your life and you're on to the next big thing that you have to tackle with your family and work life. And so it's easy to get away from that. And I think that you're uniquely positioned to really advocate for those who are in that space. And it's almost as if being a mother is your superpower in your job, right? Because you get to advocate for those who don't have a, a voice or a platform to speak out and or speak up for what for the things we need. And so that brings me to the next thing I want to ask you is what inspired you to run for Senate? Like what brought you to this point? at a very early age, my voice was taken from me. And I think that when you grow up and when you go through life where at any point in time um, your power has been taken, you will do anything to make that not a piece of your reality going forward. And you know what it is to have that void. And so I think, you know, when an opportunity presented itself for me, um, I had always found a tremendous amount of... Um, you know, power in legislative change. I did disclose my abuse finally after many years. You know, my victim's advocate said that I needed to go get an HIV and AIDS test, which we did. And thank God I didn't have um, HIV, but HIV can lay dormant in your system for quite some time. And so we petitioned the court to have Waldina, my nanny, tested, only to find out in the state of Florida we weren't entitled to the results of that test, nor were we even entitled to ask for it. And so at that point, I was really angry. And my dad and I used his platform as a lawyer and a lobbyist to change the law so that now in the state of Florida, um, a victim or in the case of a minor, um, that child, their adults, their grown-up buddies or their parents can get the results of that um, HIV and AIDS test and now an STD test. And I think that first legislative victory and knowing that you can derive great change from a really dark place and make it better for other people made it so that I needed to do this, not just for myself, but for other people. It's so powerful. It is really, truly so powerful. And Lauren, you know, it's part of why I even started my own process or had, I call, you know, I say the guts, the guts to start talking and speaking up about my own personal things is because I feel like if we can help one person, then we all have done our job, you know, um, take something that was really, really difficult and just help people feel less alone and then hopefully be able to create meaningful change from that space. Well, I do think it does take guts. Like it's not easy to look at the terrible, awful, nightmare pieces of your life that you've been kind of running from or would rather keep over here. And so I do think that it is guts. And I do think that it is, you know, brave to do that because so many people go their entire lives without doing that. 
Well, you inspired me way back in the beginning when you were walking across the state of Florida to raise awareness about childhood sexual abuse um, with your charity, Lauren's Kids. And as you made your way to Tampa, I'm sure you remember this, but you made your way to Tampa and you invited me to come volunteer with you at a transitional home for women who were fleeing domestic violence, um, many of whom had their young children with them. And I was teaching middle school at the time. And I remember taking a day off from school, which like I actually hated to do because my students having a substitute teacher meant that they were not going to have like the actual, like the lesson that I prepared that I know the ins and outs of that I have the mental load to carry to teach my students. And so it was like a double thing. I was like, I really, really want to go volunteer with Lauren, but I cannot believe I am taking a day off from my students. I was really, really committed. Um, but I felt absolutely compelled to meet you there. And so when I arrived, um, I accompanied you to the women's shelter and I listened to you tell these young women of your own sexual abuse and survival. And it was then in there that for the first time in my entire life, Lauren, that I was able to recover some really painful memories from my own childhood. <sighs> and hearing you, it was really the starting point for my own healing. I like, and I, I think I must've been 26 years old. And that was like the first time that I really started to uncover my own stuff. So I will forever be grateful for having met you for that reason. And so I, we're here almost 10 years later and I'm finally starting to reap the fruits of the sowing that I did. I have such a tremendous amount of love and respect for you. I think that you're one of the most special people in my universe. And, you know, I think you tell me that that, that began your journey, but I do think that I derive so much power and even permission to do my own work because of you. Because I think sometimes all of us, you know, we go on a journey, we do the work, but that's a lifelong process. And I think sometimes even when you've done it, you got to go back. And I think that you have taught me a tremendous amount about giving myself permission to do that work or to take a step back or to honor the feelings that you're feeling on any kind of day. Because I know when you were teaching, I, I remember how dedicated you were to your children, to your classroom. And I remember being so excited that you were coming. And that walk is awful. And so it's awful and wonderful, awesomely awful, we used to say, in so many ways. But that place is truly special. I mean, when you're looking at, and I think for both of us, for you and for me and for so many, there's something so primal about wanting to give your children or yourself, right? Because I think we're all kind of still in our own mind working through what home is, what peace is, what love is what is that safe space? And I think that, you know, when you can see it on other people, you know, wanting to give those women um, and children a safe place to land and to know that no matter what has happened, you don't have to repeat the cycle. You know, I think that those are very truly special things and oftentimes easier to see external and then do that internal work. And I just think that the universe gives us gifts and teachers along the way. And you have always been one of my teachers in a way that has allowed me to do my own work as a mom and as a woman, which I did, look, the survivor work, right, to become a dragon survivor, but to continue to do that work, to be the best version of myself for my kids and for my husband, for my family, I think that you've always taught me to, to dig deeper than I would have normally.
Thank you. That means so much to me. You know, something that you said that really stood out was the feeling of home. Before the home, you were talking about how the work doesn't stop. Like you don't get to stop working on yourself. I mean, you, I mean, you get to, but like to really live in your purpose and your, your higher truth is, is to always be a work in progress and to always be looking at this. And so you mentioned the feeling of home and it's so wild because I remember thinking that there's so many times in my youth, in my adolescence that I would cry and I would think to myself, I want to go home, but I was home right? I was, I was in my home. I was in my house with my family, but I remember praying and, and hoping. I was just thinking, I want to go home. I remember when I was giving birth to my children, cried out, I want to go home. And my husband said to me, you're going to go home in a couple of days. And I'm like, that's not what I mean. It's the sense of safety, the sense of knowing this deep knowing, right? The knowing within yourself. And that's what this is all about. I wanted to know, like, how did you discover that this was your personal knowing? That your personal knowing was that you had to speak your truth and spread awareness on a topic that is just so uncomfortable, so uncomfortable for so many people to talk about. My dad plays a big piece of that for me. I think that he has, and like you and your dad, he is my one of my safe spaces and um, my friend and he has always taught me that where much is given, much is expected. And also too, that, you know, you have to derive your strength from the dark places and you can't, I think, and while I wouldn't normally, this is not always, I think a good message. You can't let the ugly win. You can't let the bad beat out the good. That's not a reason to drive you to do something. But I remember very early on that want and that wish to make it you know, better for other kids and for other people. Um, and it got to be more comfortable, right? And it got to be a little bit easier. And I've shifted. You know, a lot of what I do now is more of the empowering pieces of things. And so I've I've shifted to what um, I feel most safe talking about and comfortable talking about because I think, you know, it changes and you do get to do different work as you grow and heal. So I think that that, that for me has always been an important piece. My transition into motherhood really stirred up all of the childhood stuff, the really horrifying things. And so how did your own childhood experiences affect your journey into motherhood? And I know that there's like a physical element to that for you and the emotional part of it. That was hard. I think that there is the physical piece of it, right? Like the, you know, breastfeeding was tough. There was like a couple of things that I had to go back and do some work on. I think that I remember like the hardest part for me, because of my sexual abuse and some of those pieces, like particularly with my daughter, Kennedy, this like very dark place of, well, this happened to me and this monster like could be living inside of me that I could hurt my daughter the way that I was hurt, like that that potentiality is there. And I remember for a long time not wanting to change her diaper, like and if she cried and cried and cried. I would make Blair do it, my husband do it. Like to even think about that, it makes me cry because all you want is to have like this extreme bond with your kids. But I think like it was normal, right? Like the the monster that lived there is because of those things. And like, I think for me, understanding, talking about that and making it, normalizing that and having a partner and being able to express those things 
but that was a very real hard piece in it for me. This conversation is so good, but before we keep going, I want to take a minute to thank our sponsors, Sana Skin Studio. The best way for me to describe Sana is that it feels like coming home. Unlike traditional facials, Sana's facials are rooted in education, and I love this so much. Every experience I've had at Sana has been a chance to learn more about my skin and its needs. I love that the facials are effective while also being accessible enough to be a monthly ritual rather than a yearly splurge. I'm honored to be able to provide our audience with a promo code. Use the code THENOGLOW for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. It's rare that you find someone who you can actually speak about it with that will understand because you, I've never actually heard anybody say that they were scared to change their child's diaper, but I can tell you that my son, I have been scared to wash him properly in the bath. You know what I mean? Where I'm like, I just have been, I've not wanted to, I've, I, and it's not because I don't care. It's almost because I don't want to do the wrong thing because I know, I know what it's like. And I've never, I got emotional myself listening to you say that because I'm thinking I've never even been able to tell anybody that, you know, like I talk, I speak about it with my husband. I'm like, I don't want to, you know, I don't want to touch him the, the wrong way, you know, and I, I, we actually have the conversations with our toddlers um, about how he can wash himself and when he can begin to do this. And this is how he cleans his body parts. And this is, these are his body parts. And we talk about um, how we don't keep secrets there are no secrets in our household. So if somebody, especially an adult asks you to keep a secret, that's a sign that you need to talk about it. And like my opinion in your home and safeguarding your home, no adults should be asking you to keep a secret. Even like little things like, you know, if, if I'm going to take them for ice cream, we don't even joke around of like, don't tell your dad or don't tell mommy or don't tell grandpa, you know? No, because secrets in our home, they're just, they're just not a part of our life. Like it's, there's never a scenario in which it is okay for an adult to request that you keep a secret. We talk about surprises. We do surprises that we want to make a surprise. And so, but a surprise will eventually make everybody happy and we'll tell them. And so we very much, I mean, I think that Unless you are healed enough to be and to break those cycles and the patterns that you have had, that I have had, that so many, look, we know that, you know, one in three girls and one in five boys have had these difficult traumatic events and one in five boys will be sexually abused before their 18th birthday. And 90% of those kids are abused by someone they know, love, and trust, which is the scariest part of all of it. It's funny, and it's not funny at all, but <laughs> there's actually a, a a bill walking its way through the process here, but it was about like sex education. And a member came in with these books. Like, of course, I had this book, the perfectly normal book. I don't know if you remember it. Maybe, I'm sure maybe you had it when you were growing up, but it has like the cartoons in it, and it teaches kids about their private parts, and it talks about all of the things and, and they're all bent out of shape. And, you know, he was like, how, how is this appropriate? How is this okay? I'm like, are you serious? Like if you ask my children that are four years old and they could tell you when they were two, what are the proper names for their private parts? My son will tell you that it's a penis and his testicles. And my daughter will tell you she has a vagina. And because otherwise I've been around and I've seen it before where predators and offenders will use 
you know, those special names for private parts to harm our children. And they know that we're afraid that adults typically don't feel comfortable having these conversations with their kids. But it's it's just we're reclaiming that part of our life that is hard. And it is hard. It is not fun to think about these things. I hate the fact, you know, that I even have to process this, that so much of my life has been about this stuff. But wanting to make it different for our kids, I think, is what drives, I know it which drives us and what drives so many survivors to make it different. You have relentlessly risen time and time again, Lauren. You really have. So how, and this just, this just came to me because I, and this is something I'm actually asking your advice right now. I want to know, like, how do we find the balance between living in fear and then, and also living in awareness, right? And protection without living your life fear-based because living a fear-based life isn't healthy for you, for anybody. So as parents, how do we, how do we find that balance? How do you find that balance? I don't always find the balance, but I know that that's okay. I know that I talk to to Blair about it. I talk to the other people in my life that I value their opinions and their thoughts. I mean, I'll tell you, the pandemic was very hard for a very long time. Like some of my like agoraphobia came back where I was, uh, I, I think it was a, a couple, like a couple of things like Parkland happened. Um, obviously you have been such an incredible advocate for those kids and those families, but you know, that was my district. And so, you know, we pushed for that piece of legislation that passed and, and I've gotten to know a lot of those families very well. And so like there was, I think, compounding like my old trauma plus Parkland, plus my kids coming of age where they had to go to school and the pandemic happening at kind of not dissimilar times where I was like, I don't want them to leave my site. They're going to get hurt. I don't want them to leave. And then kind of realizing, uh oh, like, mm, I think that I need to push pause, have some conversations, go back, start doing some more work, doing some more deep work because I was getting a little ahead of myself. So I think. Like when it comes to not wanting to live a fear-based life, I think it's listening to the fear and then proceeding on anyway and not letting it consume you. See it, hear it, understand it, don't judge it, but then tackle it. We all have like weird, crazy things that happen, but you can't judge it. Like it just, it, it just is, and it is what it is. And, you know, how do we proceed on? How do you continue on that path and do it in a safe, healthy, appropriate way? I think that you have shown me that time and time again. Thank you. I mean, you know, it's it's interesting because there's another culture that like the toxic positivity culture, right? Where we're just going to, it's okay. You know, it's okay. You got this. Keep rising, keep rising. And it's like this pseudo, this fake positivity that's really a shield that it like doesn't even allow us to properly um, address, cope, and heal from the trauma. Oh my God, I'm so glad that you said that. That is real. And I think it also makes us harder on ourselves than we need to be. Because, well, why is it so hard? Like, why, why am I not okay? Because it's not okay. And it's okay to not be okay. It's okay. Like that the kids are a disaster. I'm not doing what I'm, you know, not supposed to do and things aren't the way. Can I, I'll go to one thing. Like I was thinking, and you and I were talking last time and it was Valentine's day and the heart balloons weren't so heart balloonish. 
<laughs> so I'm thinking and I'm sitting and I'm like, and we were doing like something similar here at the house. And I, you know, it's okay that the heart balloons weren't perfect. It was the memories that you create and you, but you want it to be like so perfect and just knowing and sitting that it's not perfect. And you had like jelly bean heart balloons. That's okay. And your boys will remember and love. And I, I just think about how it's okay. And you just got to let it, you got to roll with it. Got to roll with it. And it's, I think it's really important, even like just us having this conversation, right? It's, you see somebody like you, Lauren, and you look like you have it all together. You've got this like big shot job in the Senate. You're a young, beautiful woman, highly intelligent, highly capable. You look like you have it all together. And that's not to say that you don't, but um, I think also from the outside, people might, might assume things about my life, you know? And it's just so easy to think, especially in this day and age of curated social media culture, that like there was nothing that built the strong woman, that she was just born that way. And you are a testament that like Elizabeth Kubler-Ross quote, beautiful people aren't just made. There's all of these factors in your life have made you the, the incredible woman that you are today. I don't know if we're allowed to curse on your new podcast, but like we're a shit show nine times out of ten. Like we are a disaster. And you're right. Like I think that, you know, everybody wants the perfect, the perfect picture, the perfect whatever. And that is just not the case. I mean, like just before we hit record today, I was telling you what a disaster. I left the makeup over here and the kids are not doing this and we're yelling and screaming and acting crazy. But that's, you know, and that's okay. Right. That's that's part of like part of the universe of normalized normalcy. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm telling you, like it's if I could roll up in here in my athleisure with my no makeup <laughs> on, I would. I would. So I want to ask, did your childhood sexual abuse lead to your personal knowing of running for Senate? Do you credit this ex- experience for being a driving force behind your running for Senate? Yes, I think so. I think it was that that. um that not having a voice piece for me was the the piece of it. And it took me a long time to under, to kind of find my way because you know I didn't want to be the person that only did the bills that made everybody cry and was about kids that were hurt. <laughs> but I but it was more I think about being a fighter for those who didn't have the ability to fight for themselves. So the vulnerable, um, the downtrodden, the ones who didn't have somebody up here to fight for them on their behalf. Those are the hardest bills to pass, the ones that don't have an interest behind it, that are just there, you know, and that is, I think, the most, like, difficult part that those pieces around, um, like, I think about period poverty, these girls who are in school right now, who are struggling just because they're, you know, 12 and 13, you were there in middle school, right? And maybe they're having to make some really hard decisions about, you know, wearing feminine products longer than they could or should, because they needed to have lunch. Those things, like those issues, again, that people aren't talking about, people aren't fighting about, you know, it's that kind of stuff, I think that, but definitely from being a person who didn't have a voice for a long time. Well, so, and on that note, like there are some things that you're, that you have to deal with in your position that are really difficult, right? Like things that you're like, oh my gosh, how am I going to face this? Just the other day, like we were, we were chatting and you were telling me about a case that you're, you're going to have to, to present about, and it was really tough for you. How do you manage to say positive when you're faced with very serious topics that require you to pick a side? And how do you stay true to your beliefs? For me, it's about, you know, your North Star. 
and always being guided by that principle that brought you here. Um, and for me, like it has always been to fight for those who didn't have the ability to fight for themselves, for the underdog, for anything that was wrong. And so it's very clear when you constantly bring that that belief structure with you. But it is very hard because we do a lot of issues that are really terribly complex and very difficult. We have the anti-riot bill. I remember over the summer when you and I were connecting over just some of the things that were happening in our own lives, in our own communities with people using their voices and being suppressed for so long. And now there's a bill that would ban outright, basically, um, the coming together of people in the street to assemble um, it's the anti-riot bill, House Bill 1, bills like that. I mean, there are so many really difficult, complex issues. And I think always coming to it with the want and the belief to help others. And I think that the staying positive piece is there are days that suck. There are days I'm like, no, I'm, I'm out. Like, I, I just, I don't want to. And I allow myself that. And I think that's, um, again, you know, to go back, one of those things that you and I have always, I think, taught one another that it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to have a hard day, to kick, scream, yell, cry, fight, be pissed that you didn't get an amendment on a bill to make it better or whatever that is, or a really bad stuff to pass. The parental consent for an abortion, you know, stuff like that. These are highly complex issues, but, you know, denying access to, to folks, changing the way we can vote and have our voices heard. Uh, you do get discouraged, you do get mad, um, but you, you can't let it completely cloud your vision. And um, because then, you know, that other 80% of nonpartisan stuff, you don't get to do your stuff. That's a piece of it. Just listening to it, like I can't even imagine how I would cope in a situation like that. And you are doing it. You're doing it and you're giving so many people a voice when they didn't otherwise have one. And that's not to say that it's you're always going to win what you want. You know, you're not always going to get what you want. And that doesn't mean you have to quit fighting for it. You just have to press on. And isn't that a testament about just about life? We're not going to win everything. We're not going to get everything that we want. And we still have to remember our why, right? Like why we're doing this, you know, like what's the bigger picture? You mentioned the North Star and that North Star can be something different for so many people. And just staying true to that. Yeah. And I think sometimes it's also for me, whether it's the winning all the time or passing good policy or killing bad policy or, you know, just showing my kids that you show up, that no matter how hard or crappy something is, you still have to do it. You still have to get up. You still have to give it your best. You still have to be respectful. You still have to, no matter what, you got to keep going. I think, you know, all of those things are the lesson that you, you got to, retrain your brain because you can get discouraged and it is, it is tough. When you talk about that, like you're teaching lessons to your children, right? About showing up and doing the work and showing up anyway, even in the face of adversity, even when it's hard. If you could talk to the seven-year-old version of Lauren Book, and if you could tell her, what would you want her to know about the woman she would become? I would just want her to know that it'll be okay that there may not always be somebody there to protect you, but I'll get to a place where I can protect you. That's what, what I would want her to know, that it's hard, life is hard, but you'll be okay. And someday you'll get to a place where you can protect yourself. It's amazing, Lauren. You know, I actually, in all of my years of therapy, I think that the the one of the things that was the most impactful to me was 
um, when a therapist walked me through this like scenario where I imagined a really horrifying event in my life when I was little. I was like, I was re recalling a memory from when I was about four years old. And she told me to observe. I would close my eyes and I observed this experience. And she was like, okay, now the adult in the room was not there for you. The adult in the room was harming you. Right now, you are the adult in the room for that four-year-old version of yourself. What would you do for that little version of yourself? And I, like you said, like I became super emotional. And I remember just going up to her and hugging her and holding her and saying, I got you. I got you. So it's almost like, I don't know, when I hear you saying that in your own words, it's like we have the opportunity now to reparent that hurt little girl that, that was there, you know, that was, that, that experienced all this pain and trauma. And we now get to reparent her and hold her close. And really what that, what that is, is us holding ourselves. Right. My therapist taught me little Lauren, <laughs> it was little Lauren. It was, how are you, how are you going to take care of little Lauren? How are you going to, um, hold her up? And, and like, because she popped up even now, like, when there's a bad day or when something's going on that I'm like, Oh no, or whatever it is, it's okay. How do you make sure that little Lauren is okay? The other thing, one day, I hope that you'll have me back on your podcast and we could do, um, in the imposter syndrome. I feel that a lot. And I just think like, that's a part of life. And I want to talk about that. We're going to talk about it. We are going to talk about it. And it's, it's so important because I see you stepping into your power now. And I may feel like this is for the first time in my life. Lauren, like that I'm actually doing it. So it's a huge honor to like to have you of all people on my podcast for my first show, because I feel like I've been having this imposter syndrome for, it was a rough decade. I'm just going to say that it was a rough decade, um, but we're here and we're doing this together. And so I would like to close with what advice do you want to give to our listeners who are looking for hope? and daring to stand in their own personal power because you you're doing it right and yeah every day not every day is perfect i'm trying to do it and not every day is perfect so what advice do you have for those looking for hope and daring to stand in their power get up every day and try your best and show up and do the work and listen to in the know because i think that all of these things it's how do you feed your soul how do you how do you become the best version of yourself? And whether that's a podcast or meditating or riding your Peloton or going outside and walking or listening to your kids or playing a game or just sitting down and watching cartoons with them, giving whatever it is in any moment, not judging it, doing that because it's what you need to fill your cup and your soul to be the best version of yourself and allowing yourself that time. Because I think as women, as moms, as business people, as, I mean, you're being pulled in 8,000 million different directions, but just coming back to you and asking yourself, what do I need right now to be okay, to do what I have to do to be the best version of myself and allowing that. I love you so much, Lauren. I love you more. I'm going to take your advice today. I'm so proud of you. Because you are giving so much to so many people um, and that all because you're living in your truth and that's special. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you so much for taking time out of your day today to do this with me. I love you. This podcast was brought to you by Sana Skin Studio. 
Be sure to use my code, the no glow for $25 off of your first facial at Sana when booking via sanaskinstudio.com. More than a skin studio, Sana is a movement towards healthier skin and self-love. Thank you for listening to The No. I hope you'll join me again soon. If you loved my podcast, it would mean the world to me if you left a review. You can connect with me personally via Instagram at Nikki Sap Spo. And be sure to check out my website, nikkispo.com.